recovering. It's about getting back to who we really are and what we're really here for. Give me your strength and show me your weakness. We're in this together now. We're in this together now. Welcome back to season three, episode four. And this episode comes because we kind of messed up. I was going to say <laughs> fucked up. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't say that on the podcast. And then I just did. Oh, what the hell? Um, <laughs> okay. So basically, we did episode, season three, episode two, mm-hmm. which was originally entitled the hell episode. I think we even we called said it the, that the hell episode during yeah, the did. beginning of we that did. podcast. <laughs> we did. And then we were kind of thinking about it later. I was playing the beginnings of it for my daughters, and then I realized, oh, we never talked about hell in the hell episode. We got a little sidetracked with evil. That's how evil works, actually. And so, so anyhow, we'll just blame it on evil, fucking up the evil episode. So basically, um, my apologies to everyone listening who doesn't like the F-bomb because I've already dropped it twice. Uh, but essentially, I'll blame evil for that, too. Um, we didn't talk about hell in the hell episode, so we're going to try to really stay on track in episode four and actually discuss our beliefs about hell. Yeah, we even wrote down questions. This is like quite serious. <laughs> It's true. It's the first time we've actually... (laughs) To like stay on task. Okay. Okay. So yes. Okay. So we're definitely, definitely talking about hell in the second take on a hell episode. If we mess this up, that is not going to be good. A few other things changing gears. I really want to remind everybody about the course that I've done with Dr. Stephen Mm. Brown though. A few people have listened to it so far now, and they've given me feedback of how helpful it has been to them. One of the people was actually the producers who produced it. And he said of all the things that he's produced, it's his favorite. I think he said it was his favorite or one of his favorites, but how helpful that was to him. Mm. And so, yeah, I, you know, I feel really passionate about getting Dr. Brownlow's work out there and my own experience of it and how much it has changed me over the years. I really owe my ability to be authentic to him and his work in my life. And so a big part of that is emotions, understanding our emotions, what are ours, what are other people's, when do we pick up on foreign emotions, what are bypassed emotions, what do we do with those Uh, reactive emotions. There's a bunch of different types and what are real feelings and how do we know the difference Mm. between real feelings and our emotions? And I just don't feel like there is anyone else out there at this time that I know of in the world of psychology that has an understanding like he does. And so it's an investment, you know, it's an investment in your own therapy. You can do the individual course If you're a professional, there's one for professional use, which will then inform your work. If you're a coach or a spiritual director, counselor, psychologist, social worker, pastor, that can help you in your work with others. Additionally, if you are feeling like you want to get a group together, you want to save some money on the course, et cetera, there's a group use option. uh, So you can do that as well. But yeah, I really want to see where the course goes and the impact it can have. Because as I look at the problems that we're facing in the world, especially as people are, you know, really in conflict and really Mm. feeling a lot of things and diverting that energy towards uh, activities that are really not necessarily as helpful as they could be, et cetera. I feel like that's rooted in emotional problems often, particularly shame is a big Mm. one. But there are other aspects of just, you know, Dr. Brownlow also talks about emotions as energy and how to move that energy through us where it doesn't get locked up. And so it's a really unique perspective and you have the course then forever. Like if you need to re-listen to it, when I originally did the course with him, there was only five types of emotions way back when he's since identified uh, sixth. But when I had the course before, I remember when I would be really struggling in a feeling, I'd be really kind of stuck. 
I would listen to that course, like as I was driving or at home and I would really start to feel better. And so it's a gift to have the audio. That's why we did an audio uh, version because you don't have to sit in front of a computer and watch the screen. You can be driving, you can be doing other things. It's really easy to take with you. But I would say to those that invest in the course, notice how you feel going into it and then pay attention to how you feel afterwards. And if you're noticing a difference, then keep going, you know, then keep it around. And it's not just a one and done. And I would say the same thing about the podcast. You know, there is this sort of, in my opinion, a kind of consumer mentality when it comes to podcasts and other writing online, where we just want new information, new information and consume and consume and consume. And for me, I view this work more like when a musician creates an album and they put work into it and effort and thought, and then it's there, but you can re-listen to it. And I love the idea of, rather than the consumption model, this idea of study. And even in 12-step with the big book, we'll do a big book study and I'll reread aspects of the big book multiple times and new things will come up for me when I do. And it will, you know, integrate even more into me. And so if you're interested in, oh yeah, what does it mean to be real in relationships? Go back and listen to that episode. If you're thinking, oh, you know what? I don't know if I remember how to listen well, which I want that information from you at the beginning of this episode. Actually, I've asked Dan to remind me about listening skills because that's one of the areas that he's really strong and teaches people. But for you, if you're like, yeah, I'm not really listening to my friends or my partner well, I feel like I could grow in that area you can listen to the learning to listen with Dan Hines episode that we did back then. Mm -hmm. If you're struggling with loneliness, there's an episode on loneliness. If you're struggling with resentments, I've done an episode on resentments. So those are there for you all the time, like basically free therapy. And so I just really want to encourage you, even if you've heard it before, if you need a bit of help, that's there for you. Q faith community is always around. Uh, Dan I have convinced Dan to become a member. <laughs> Didn't take much convincing. It's, <laughs> and, uh, uh, it's been life-giving. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, and and so good to have you part of our community. And Q Faith really attracts people who are kind, mm-hmm. authentic, safe, desiring growth. It, it's really a unique space. And so if you're needing community in your life, if you want to enter into recovery, if you want to be with us, there's only two requirements for attendance. One is a desire for spiritual awakening. So you're coming because you need something. We have had people come to the group very rarely, uh, trying to teach something <laughs> that is not as helpful. No. Uh, so one requirement for membership is a desire for spiritual awakening. And the other one is just to respect our values. You don't have to agree with our values, but just respect them, you know, especially because we're LGBTQ affirming. Again, if somebody comes in, they don't respect that. They're trying to convince us. Otherwise that energy wouldn't be helpful to the group. Mm-hmm. Same with the no crosstalk rule, et cetera. Um, so yeah, that's all you need to attend. And I know that it can be scary. You know, your first meeting. Really, we have some members, one of our members says that they sat outside when we used to meet in person, I think three weeks in a row and couldn't do it. Like they would want to come, but then they couldn't make it through the door. So you're not alone. Uh, My first 12-step meeting was just so anxiety provoking, but that's okay. Just come as you are. You can just listen. You don't have to say anything. You can pass, but that's a free space to grow. And then I do have the interview with liturgists on the basics of 12-step recovery. So if you wanted to look that up and learn a bit more about 12-step, you can do that. And then, yeah, we've got a bunch of other things going on. Dan is doing coaching. So if you like hearing what Dan has to say, and you could potentially become a client, Dan has a process about working with people to figure out if it's a good fit, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, reach out to Dan, danhines.ca, right? Is mm-hmm. that your, yeah. That's it, that's it. Yeah. Find so, me there. so I love that Dan's offering that because for me, I'm no longer offering one-to-one help at this time uh, because of the other work going on. So some of you really need that. You need a person that is safe that you can talk to and do that work with. And so, yeah, Dan, I'm so appreciative that you are offering that right now Mm. into the world. And then you often have retreats and other things you're doing. Dan does many things. I forgot, but this morning I was reminded even that Dan does funerals. And so Mm. I've never done a wedding or funeral. I don't think I should have my full-fledged like Reverend card until I have to do like one (laughs) wedding and one funeral to pass. Uh, But Dan Mm. does. So yeah, I just have the sense of 
if you're led to connect with him for whatever reason and you're vibing with what he is saying here today, then reach out. Great. Um, so yeah, that's all the news. Now, I may just forget that we're talking about hell. So <laughs> good thing I got my questions. Uh, but before we talk about hell, the one thing that I'd asked you is your invitation in one of the styles of doing a podcast episode was, hey, Jen, for one of the episodes, what do you think about us just asking the other questions and really trying to listen and presence the other rather than just like a discussion-based podcast? And I loved that. And I felt like this episode would be a great one to do that because it is something that people are so passionate about. And even with us, we could get into really trying to hold our position or convince the other or missing what the other person is saying and lose presence. And so before we ask those questions, I had just asked you if you could remind me, you know, maybe five minutes or so on what is good listening and how do I hold that space for you as I'm listening? What do I need to check for as I'm asking the questions just so that I can do the best I possibly can to presence you as you share your answers? Uh, uh, I've certainly have noticed it myself, but I've noticed this now with thousands of people in these circles of trust that we need to have spaces where we can uh, occasionally uh, be with someone who knows how to hold some discipline and hold some boundaries and be able to create the conditions where I can hear my own inner wisdom and we can recognize it together when it comes to the surface and then not need to do anything with it other than just integrate it into a larger understanding. So, so how to hold that discipline, how to identify the practices that make that happen. There's just a couple things I think that are really helpful. One is that, you know, today, like I'm really going to hold an intention of recognizing your mystery, Jen, like who you are and the sacredness of a secret garden, uh, an access point within you that I have no, I have no way to approach it. And I'm just going to sit in the wonder of what words come to the surface for you and receive them as openly as I can without having to formulate some type of response to you or feel challenged or threatened by what you're saying. I can feel all those things and, and I can feel judgments and I can feel certainly they come up, but just to identify them as clouds that just are floating across the sky, they're not to be taken too seriously. And just to stay in a place of deep witnessing presence accompaniment and I don't need to save you. I don't need to advise you. I don't need to correct you. I don't need to challenge you. I don't need to strategize or analyze you. I just can receive your words. So that's the that's the intention. And then the practice is, uh, you know, we've come up with some questions. They're just open questions, which means that we still don't know exactly how we're going to respond to these today. We know that this is passionate and, and an important conversation for us to have. And because of that, because the stakes are higher, because we're getting closer to the bone and to things that are really important to us, maybe about even the way we see our, our whole mission in the world and our whole reason for being. And so it's, it's easy to get reactive when it gets really tender like that. And just to stay in a discipline and a practice of awareness and listening and openness. And, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm curious to know when, when we can create these type of spaces, how incredibly trustworthy and reliable it, it is that something true and honest will come into being. And that's, that's the game changer. Cause that's the wild, that's the wild part of who we are. And it, and it, and it is always transformative, always transformative when that can come to the surface. So that's, that's what I'll say to get us started. Mm, yeah. Thank you for yeah. that. Yeah. I think what comes up for me as you're speaking is, a really good reminder that it is a privilege mm. to get to listen to another person share what their deepest experiences, beliefs, what they feel is true, revealing their heart, their passion, mm -hmm. anything that is, yeah, coming from that place that is more private and typically hidden 
And that's why there are times when people ask me questions, but I can tell that they're asking me because they're kind of like, you don't actually believe in hell, do you? I mean, that's not, they don't really, they're not asking me a question, right? (laughs) So it's like, there's times when even with friends, they'll say like, well, what would you do in this situation? And I, I feel the energy, like they already know what they would do and they want to see if my position agrees with theirs. So then I'll just pause and they'll be waiting. I'll be like, so what do you, what do you think about this? And I'll, and I'll just say in a really gentle way, not in a pass. I mean, sometimes I'm sure I'm passive aggressive, but what I, when I'm really in a good place, I just say, do you really want to know what I would do in this situation? Or do you really want to know what I think? Mm -hmm. Or do you really want to know what I believe? And so, yeah, I would say that even to those listening today, you do get a choice and you don't have to listen to us. And so there is that question I'm putting out there of like, do you really want to hear what Dan believes about hell? I'm now in a place where I do. Dan is my friend. And I was surprised to hear, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that Dan does not believe that hell exists Mm -hmm. and doesn't even believe in an afterlife. And so it's interesting and magical to me that as deep as our friendship is and as as much ground as we've covered together and our conversations that I didn't know that. And I thought, how many of us don't know things even about our partners or our children that again, if we took a posture of, I really want to know, I really want to see you, uh, will you let me in? Not because I want to convince you of anything or do anything to you, just because it's a privilege, like we're talking about, to be exposed to that mystery. So yeah, if you really want to hear what Dan thinks, then keep listening. And then the same thing for me, if you really want to hear what I believe about it, not because I'm trying to convince you, just because if I'm asked... I'd like to share. And so that's why we're here. And additionally, of course, there is, you know, another deeper value that Dan and I share that we've mentioned before of if we can enter into this type of conversation about something that is typically so divisive and triggering for people. And if we can both live into our value of peace and honoring the other as a child of God, as thou that is important to both of us as well. So there is kind of a deeper purpose besides just me getting to know you. Mm. The reason we're recording this and putting this out there is because the hope is that, gosh, if more of us could have conversations like this, then what we both hope for that idea of, you know, heaven on earth, you know, now this is closer to that in my opinion. Mm. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. So Dan, I know that you had told me before and I've let the cat out of the bag. That <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I know I just uh, answered you're question one speaking for you. For me. All right. <laughs> well, it's going to come out in the open anyhow, so it's, it's fine. Um, yeah. But please tell me more about that. So mm-hmm. uh, it's that question of, you know, do you believe that hell exists? How would you answer that? Yeah. N- no, I don't believe hell exists. A place, you know, my understanding of hell growing up in church was that hell was a place, a real place where people go because they are, because God is holy God is just, God cannot accept that and therefore needs to separate those who are, uh, can come into eternal relationship with God and those that need to be set aside and rejected in the, Lo- loved enough to go to hell was the was the sermons I grew up with, and so that understanding of a just, holy God, a God of ultimate standards, and needing then to separate the sheep and the goats, you know, to use one of the the language from one of Jesus' parables from Matthew, that belief died for me in my late twenties when I was a evangelical pastor and it was part of the whole package of of understandings that I released you know I just knew deep within me that they were not true and I couldn't hold them anymore 
it defied all of the other things that I had come to understand and believe about the nature of God and the nature of life itself. And so now I, I look at a story like the story of eternal place of judgment and, and punishment, oh God, and damnation. And I look at that and I think, I know within myself that that is a terrifying story and it has a purpose behind it. And we'll talk, well, I know we're going to drift in to talk a bit about that part of it. We're kind of where it comes from. What is it? What's the deeper dynamics under the story for us? And, and then just let me have one, one last thing here about the, uh, cause you also out- outed me a bit with about my beliefs about the, <laughs> <laughs> about the afterlife too. You know, Oops. You know, so I'll just be, uh, this is where I'm at, you know, at this stage of my life, this moment in time, if you ask me, what do I believe happens to us after death? I would say my understanding is I don't think we keep a lot of individual awareness. I think it's like a big, really intense psychedelic trip in which we merge into something larger than us. We go back to love. I don't think we even retain maybe even a lot of memories. I think it's like a full assimilation into light. So that's my, that's my sort of vision of what happens after death. I don't think I retain like a Dan memory. I don't believe in reincarnation. I don't believe in past lives or I, you know, I'm, I'm open and curious. I, I, I know there's real phenomena out there and people have memories and I, I'm intrigued with that whole thing. But I, I just wonder if, if we're just all ac- accessing some larger collective memory system. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. I just, I have this view that when I die, I'll just merge in, you know, I'll just, I'll just flow into it as though you just gave me, you know, five grams of LSD. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm obliterated, you know, I've, I've, uh, rode the toad, you know, uh, I've had this, um, this unitive experience and it's all one and holy and I've always belonged. And so that's, that's how I view it now. So Jen, <laughs> do you believe hell exists? Well, I notice as you're saying that, one, I notice it's a little difficult to shift gears. Mm -hmm. It feels like what you shared, there is a part of me that wants to just be present to that and not rush to giving my own opinions or thoughts, but we don't have all day. (laughs) So I guess I have to get to it. (laughs) So I think some form of hell exists. That would be my answer. I would not say that I know that hell exists. I certainly would not say that the pictures that humans have come up with for what hell is and their certainty about who is going there and who isn't are correct. I would be very, very hesitant to be lumped into that category and agree with all of that. I see where free will seems to be important, even in my experience here in this life. And there's something about the God that I believe in that, you know, I heard the saying one time, God is the ultimate gentleman. He'll never force himself upon anyone. And so I see this aspect of choosing, but I also see this aspect of rejecting and resistance and choosing what is essentially, you know, not the best way or even influenced by evil or not who we really are. When I think about, you know, I remember Ricky Martin one time was on Oprah way back when, and it was after the tsunami and he was doing so much work with child rights and child welfare and they had arrested this person that had paid, I can't remember the amount to have sex with a baby. And I just was Mm. horrified. And I just thought, Oh my goodness, like I can't even believe these things happen here on this earth. And so there are aspects in which I think the same way that my hope and desire and prayer is that we can bring heaven to earth and that thy will be done. 
and we create these kingdom moments now and we're not waiting for heaven later, I also think there can be hell on earth. Mm -hmm. And so that's a kind of hell that I think already exists where essentially what I feel like is people are rejecting grace and they're rejecting love and they're rejecting who they are and that still small voice inviting them. And the further you get away from the light and the more you get into darkness, I think it gets gnarlier and gnarlier. And I've even seen that with people, you know, in therapy who are addicted to pornography, you know, they'll say, I never thought I would ever do X. I never Mm -hmm. thought I'd be capable of ever doing X, but the behavior escalates over time and, and it gets, it gets to be a trap. So addictions are their own kind of hell. And so Yeah, that's why I believe. And then I think the next question we're going to get into is a little bit more about kind of evidence or what are the facts that support our beliefs? Not again, because we're coming at it like, what are the facts, man? You know what I mean? (laughs) That's not the energy. But I mean, it is really helpful to understand, like, if I just say, yes, I think some type of hell exists, I think people want to understand, like, tell me how that's possible. Like if you believe in this loving God and, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you, but, but then again, the assumptions they make about what I would describe hell as or what hell is, um, is maybe really different. So anyhow, I think I've described aspects of it. The only other thing I would say about the type of hell that I think is possible that exists is I do think at this stage And also, I always say when I talk about these things, for those that want to listen, I'm open to the idea of being wrong. And in fact, for my universalist friends that believe everybody's in and that no one's going to hell and there is no hell, uh, but they still believe in an afterlife, I always say to them, I really hope you're right. Like, I really do. Like, I really want to be wrong on this one. (laughs) I really do. And so I'm kind of rooting for them, but I still can't deny what feels true in my bones and where I'm at right now, I can't just switch over because it's kind of the codependent me trying to do wishful thinking or chameleon into the most popular belief. So I don't believe what they believe, but I sure hope that I'm wrong. But there's something about this idea of the end of time, the end times. There's something about when Jesus talks about how gnarly that's going to be. And he's like, pray that it doesn't happen in winter on the Sabbath and how bad it'll be for pregnant people. It seems like some shit's going down basically. Mm. seems like something's going to happen. That's really gnarly. And in those times, it doesn't seem good for the people who have chosen to reject Christ essentially. And you know, my own understanding. And so some idea of a kind of hell where At the end times, people are separated. Again, that you brought up the thing about separating the sheep from the goats. You know, Jesus, they say, didn't we say to you, Lord, Lord? And he's like, away from me. I never knew you. Something about this separation from Christ seems really significant and not good. Not a path I would want to choose. Not something I would want to risk personally. And then this idea of potentially a way that human beings with their free will relate where they don't want to go on this path. They don't want Christ. And, you know, the book that influenced me, one of them is The Great Divorce Mm -hmm. by C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. And I really loved this idea of like, it's not God sending people to some sort of a hell. It's people choosing hell. It's people choosing to say no over and over and over again to grace. And when they do that, they are now in a kind of hell. So for me, something of the idea of God not forcing people into his way and people constantly rejecting it, and then that becomes a sort of place that they are because they've chosen it, that makes sense to me. And is very sad to me. And I really don't want to be on that path. So that idea of either a hell where that could be eternal, it could be people eternally saying no to grace and being stuck in kind of a loop. The idea that it could be a temporary thing, like a purgatory type place where somehow the love of God is so irresistible that eventually it wins everyone over. Like how Rob Bell talks about in love wins. It's possible that hell is kind of temporary because people will often assume for me that, Oh, so you believe that God is going to punish people eternally and torment them forever and ever. 
And I'm like, no, okay, let's, okay, let's unpack this a little bit. <laughs> you know, so this idea that it could be temporary, the idea that it could be self-chosen, I'm open to all of those things. The idea that it could be some sort of eternal loop stuck in rejection is possible. The idea that God could, it could be eternal, but then God ends it, like kind of demolishes it, gets rid of it. That's possible in my mind. So I don't know the specifics. And I think the more specific I get, the more I feel like I'm really wading into territory that's not mine to Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. It does just feel like the idea of saying, nope, hell doesn't exist and this isn't going to happen. That just doesn't feel true to me at all. So that's where I'm at on the hell question. Now over to you, Mm -hmm. switch gears again. What facts or evidence do you feel like leads you into believing what you believe about hell and and that it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. And here I can identify a noticeable shift from my young adulthood, childhood, young adulthood into middle adulthood, where I was really raised to believe that that there was an authority in life, in the scriptures, in the tradition, in the community, that I, that I, I would, so if the, if the Bible talks about hell, as a real place, then it's real. And, and you, you know, you, you, you submit and surrender yourself. You don't even know you're doing it because it's just the Bible is the authority. It's the word of God. It is the revealed understanding of, of who you are, of what's going on around you about the, 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 the the whole universal, um, understanding of, of reality. And, when that broke loose in me, when I when I saw that I no longer trusted in that authority, then um, I was it was a choice about my own integrity, my own belief that I had to own and recognize deep within myself what was what was true, and that truth was a, somehow a choice that I needed to make that I would base my life on. So to make it seriously, to make it with awareness. And I'm still deeply informed by my encounter with Jesus and the gospels and Paul's letters and the Torah and uh, alongside of all the other sources of inspiration and awareness and learning and wisdom. So I guess I've would base my understanding of of what happens beyond death and what is the afterlife and things like heaven and hell. I guess I base them all now on a sense of what is true of arising deep within me and recognizing that truth and not close to these kind of conversations like we're having today, aware that, and, I, and it's changed and morphed. So it tells me even what I believe right now, you know, is so I'm, I'm I want to be humble enough to be a, a bit of a scientist, a bit of a, um, I love the title of Gandhi's autobiography experiments with truth. You know, I want to keep experimenting with truth. I want to keep testing it, seeing what's actually really resonating, what makes not what makes sense to my mind, but what my body, my heart, my mind all together. There's some wonderful subversive stories, even in the, in the, in the scriptural tradition. You know, one is about Peter who has a dream of a canopy full of non-kosher animals that comes down out of the sky and he's told to eat them. And then he goes and, and then the community later on holds his feet to the carpet because he's gone and hung out with, with Romans, with non, non-Jewish people and had, um, ate with them and baptized them. And, and he explains himself by a dream and they attack him because he's, he's given up scriptural authority. He's, he's abandoned the Torah and the whole identity that's based on the authority of the text. And his authority now is this dream as well as this experience. And I find that intri- an intriguing story about where you know where does authority lie for me? Is, can it can it lie in a dream? Can it lie in a encounter? Is that more honest and more truthful for me sometimes than maybe what I thought the Bible was telling me? And so, I just want to be uh, at this point in my life. I want to 
be honest that I'm trying to figure it out mostly, you know, by being true to to what I'm noticing within myself. So that's where I would say my belief about hell is coming from now. Mm-hmm. So Jen, why do you believe what you do? I like that you didn't say, <laughs> you mean you actually believe in this stuff? <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Um, <laughs> I feel the grace and the question and the, the honest listening. Thank you. Yeah. So for me, I do still believe in the authority, but not the inerrancy of scripture. And so I do really have a value to these texts that have been passed down for so long and even the care in which they've been transcribed and things like when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. I remember they were in museums because it was so amazing that it wasn't like the game of telephone where it changes so much over time. There was so much accuracy in which these words have been you know, passed down. And yeah, I, I'm not a historian. I'm not a theologian. Like, There's a lot that I don't know, but there have been these very impressionable moments in my spiritual life that I want to honor, that I feel like many of us get to make decisions about these things, even if this isn't our area of study. And so for me, spiritual experiences are experiences I've had and they inform what I believe. And so I have had experiences with scripture that are profound, both in learning about it and experiencing it personally myself. And even, you know, Jesus, I love the way Jesus treats scripture because Jesus quotes these words, et cetera. So Jesus doesn't even throw out the Bible. There's times when he really seems to make clear that the words are misunderstood and he's come to help clarify and also overturn some of the earlier ways things were, but there still is an honoring and a value to tradition and scripture, Sabbath and gathering. And so I think a lot of things Jesus does as a really wise, you know, teacher are worth emulating and following that modeling. So yeah, I do, I do think part of what informs my belief is scripture because, you know, Jesus talks about hell as we understand it a lot. It's not just like a couple things. So there would be a lot that I would have to discard and dismiss and ignore in my opinion, in my experience. I also really value group conscience. So I think that for me, leaning into only what I believe feels really dangerous. But when I really look at humanity over quite an extended period of time, I'm not alone in this belief and I'm not just alone even in my own faith tradition. There's many, many other faith traditions that seem to believe that there can be things that are not so good and then things that are good as we're kind of living our life and afterlife. So that I feel like helps inform and support my decision. Uh, But I do still have, in addition to scripture and group conscience, this idea of what I personally experience and believe And I think that I do personally believe in a very, very, very loving God. The love is so good that it's like hard to believe, kind of like what I talked about in one of the other episodes. Like it's like, it's hard for me to believe when I receive grace and God is that good. And when I listen, well, usually I read the story of the prodigal son whenever I do a baptism and it's not that often, but when I do read it, I always start to cry with the father Mm -hmm. in that story that Jesus talks about that is so accepting and so glad that his son is home and he won't even listen to the son's apology because he's just so excited and he's throwing a party and there's just grace upon grace upon grace. So that's the God that I believe in that Jesus described. And so it's not that I feel like I have a lot of facts to support a really angry, mean God. I mean, even to be honest, when I was first reading the Bible and I was like a new Christian and I was reading the Old Testament, they always say in the Old Testament, God's so angry and this and that. But I remember reading the Old Testament being so angry. I think I was 20 years old and I was so mad because I was like, 
this God doesn't have a backbone. Like these people are not listening. Like I grew up in a household where you act like that, you're in trouble, you know, but over and over and over this God keeps accepting them and giving them another chance and helping them. And I was like, Oh, like this God just seems like a bit of a wuss, you know? So I experienced the gracious God, even from the beginning of scripture. So for me, uh, when I experience kind of hell or this idea of hell or believing in hell, it really does seem to be people that are choosing to do something different than what's been laid before them as a path or a purpose or who they really are or options for community or spiritual practices like prayer that connect us with love. I really see people rejecting the goodness. And then that's, I think, what creates hell essentially. Mm-hmm. The next question you you need to respond to because I can't respond to it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because the que- the question is, you know, if um if hell exists, who goes there? And um my answer would be I'm excluded from the question. <laughs> <laughs> so you need you, uh, I'll offer it to you Jen, you know, it is an it is an important question we haven't really um you, you've touched on it, but but who is it that goes to hell then? Yeah. And this question, I mean, I think the really simple answer is, I don't know. But what I appreciated when I was in seminary was we had a professor that every single time he asked us a question about like, well, what do you think about this? You know, we would all say, well, I'm not really sure. Like, it's a mystery. Like, what do you think about? Do you think it's wrong? You know, that he would ask us about like, say, homosexual sex, because that was like a hot topic at the time. And he'd really leave it open. Like he really wanted to know what we believe and what we base that on. And we'd be like, well, I don't know. You know, it's God's decision or whatever. And he's like, well, actually you do believe something. And I, I'm going to need you to write down what you, what you stand on right now. And I appreciated that push because I had to be more honest, you know? And so I think in the same thing with this question, I do feel really hesitant to answer it because I really know that I don't know, but if pushed, I would say that I, unlike some Christians, I'm very open to the idea that people who are part of other faith traditions that aren't necessarily like identifying as Christian, that it's quite possible that they are entering into eternal life. I really love the scripture that uh, talks about, it says something to the effect of religion that God, our father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So that scripture is really interesting because it doesn't say like, Oh, if you've said the magical prayer of Jesus, you're in. And if you haven't, you're out. So I really honor other faith traditions that are kind of, and I remember there was this one sort of like, I think it was C.S. Lewis. There was this one quote where it was in a story and I, I think it was in Narnia with Aslan, but I'm not really sure, but it's always stuck with me. This idea of, they had said, you know, Oh, Aslan, if we knew that you were real, we really would have followed you. We did, but we just didn't know. And he said, don't you realize you've been following me all along? You just didn't know it. And so I think that there are people who are following the way of Jesus and Jesus and might not know it. That being said, would I personally risk it? Like, would I say, well, I'm not going to you know, accept Jesus as the son of God and I'm not going to believe these things. And I'm not going to read the scripture because I think that there's a chance I'll, I'll find my way another way. No, that wouldn't be my personal position. But that being said, I'm not as sure as some other people who identify as Christians that, oh, definitely all these people are going to hell because they don't believe what I believe. I wouldn't hold that position. So I would say that as far as the people who are going, again, I think it's the people who are actively rejecting the way. And I don't know how long that lasts. I don't know if it's just a bad end times. And then people go, oh crap, this was true. And we all go together. I don't know if it's like a purgatory that's for time. I don't know if it's kind of eternal, but God ends it. Or if it really is eternal, like there's a bunch of options, but I do think there's something about actively rejecting the way of Jesus and potentially Jesus that could be part of that with the two guys on the cross beside Jesus, you know, and he talks to one and and the one believes in him and says, um, remember me. 
And Jesus says, I'll see you in paradise. He, he's not leaning over saying to that to the other guy. So there, there seems to be something going on to me that is about belief and then something about eternal life. And then the other thing that I would just say is that from my understanding and experience of Jesus, he wasn't mad at the people who were sinners, prostitutes, lepers, the outcasts, tax collectors, Samaritans, like all the people who didn't fit. Those were actually the people that he spent time with and honored. The have-nots essentially were his friends. So there's something about the haves that I get really concerned about and I get concerned even within my own self that I don't miss it and get caught in the lie mm -hmm. and have this false sense of security that I really am following the way when maybe I'm getting lost. And so, yeah, there's something that really worries me about kind of religious elite that are convinced that they are doing God's work when really it is based on fear and control and power and harming others and shame and oppression. That for me is like, ugh, like I just, I kind of shudder because Jesus got really mad at the religious elite and was like, you don't get it. You know, you are whitewashed tombs and it did not sound good for those people. So yeah, something about the religious elite, something about, I think the kingdom of God is going to be surprising in terms of what was said here and who people thought were getting in and kind of that idea of the last shall become first. And so again, maybe there is a saving grace for people who are caught in the lie in that way. I'm not saying for sure that, you know, they would go to hell. I just feel like not good about it, essentially. <laughs> hmm. And then the last question that we wanted to ask one another is, why do you think you're so passionate about this? And I, I want to send out an apology to Dr. Stephen Brown, though, because he taught me never to ask why questions, because he said with a why question, the answer is always either because I'm an asshole or because you're an asshole. <laughs> so <laughs> I, <laughs> so I guess why questions are really banned in Dr. Brownlow's world, but we we really didn't, you know, we are coming at this really as gently as we possibly can. And I, I deeply do want to understand, Dan, for you, what is it within you that you think has caused you to be mm -hmm. so passionate about this? Why is this important to you? And just help me understand. Yeah. And maybe the, 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 the non why we'd ask this question for me, I'm taking in is, you know, where's the heat? Where's the energy? Mm -hmm. Where's the where is the heart in this for you? And and what's the underlying dynamics behind what you believe? Um, what do you think those are that you can identify? Maybe on, a, on a, a level of need or a level of experience or, or woundedness, um, a tender place where this belief's coming from. Yeah, and this is where it gets really edgy. So I, you know, I'm listening to you, Jen, and I'm, there's a sadness in me that I have to identify. And I don't say it in a coercive way. I'm just, I recognize the tension within myself about knowing that, you know, I land, I come, I land here because I've been shaped. Like I, I've been affected by others. And I am also in a lineage of teaching and experience that has shaped you know the, my understanding and i'm limited by it as much as i am it's like a, I'm, a, I'm a fish in water i don't even aware of the water around me that has um but there's a sadness in me whenever i confront this energy of of hell and judgment or the end times um, which is another podcast we could have we could talk about the end times it'd be fascinating too what we mean by that because I still see so much, I see so much fear in the belief of hell that, and I, and what saddens me as well is that I, I, I see the effect it has in a, you know, a group who believes they're, they're, they're the, they're the ones who are going to then go into this wonderful place and there are others around them who are not and to live in the, the fear of that and to live in the, to, and to have that, uh, I would say sort of the, 
almost a brutality and a like I, I can't believe in a God who's who's that unable to forgive when I and intolerant I, I, uh, to create a, a place where people will be whether they're you know they they chose they choose to go or they allowed to go, but just to create that place I but the, I, I guess for for me the whole metaphysical construction of a of a of another dimension that has these real places and a, and a, and and God is a like an actual seen as a being and I I for me it's all it's all magical storytelling and and yet I'm sad I'm saddened or I'm frustrated or sometimes I'm because I see the the violence in it and the the harshness in it the cruelty in it and how it's been weaponized I and again like I'm coming from my fundamentalist holiness church background where I saw it weaponized I saw it used as a a way of separating people and and a powerful sense of superiority we just happen to be the people that are going to heaven and ever you know 98% of the people I encounter in my life are going to hell that was the so i i so maybe my trauma my my own uh rejection of that is still motivating me to be kind of fierce sometimes about this within myself and to then claim a very different viewpoint that is much more just feels more gracious more akin to who i want to be how i want to be able to not live in this judgment and labeling and and isolating. But one thing that's come up for me today is that I've, I think I've underestimated when I talk about the fact that I'm my own authority and I'm trusting my own intuition, I'm trusting my own, what I'm seeing and sensing and knowing it, there's a, there's a naivety and a, and a dishonesty about that. If I claim too much from that, because I still am a product of, my environment and my influences, my mentors, my tradition. So I love the challenge I'm, you're, you're giving me today, Jen, which is that I'm, I'm really aware in your description and the beautiful way you're trying to hold all of this for yourself, that you, you can claim that, like you can, you can know that. And I think there's a, there's a beauty in that too for me. And, uh, and, and I think a, a greater honesty in that and that you're holding to. So I do um, value that, honor that deeply. And I'll ask you the same question, Jen. Why do you sense that you have this passion for you? And I mean, why, why we're having this conversation today. It's important for us. We've may mm-hmm. even made this into a podcast uh, of all the things we could talk about. And there's so many you know, we've identified, but we're here talking about this. Why, you know, where's that coming from for you? Mm. Yeah, I notice a lot of things come up for me as you ask that question. One is that I feel like the God of my understanding, the God that I feel like Jesus talks about and shows us the way that Jesus lives and models is so full of peace, humility, a willingness to meet people where they're at and love them. And so I feel probably, I was going to say defensive, but I don't know if that's the right word. I feel a desire to show people the Jesus that I understand and the God that I understand and that there is a third way. It's not either you believe in this hell and this God that all these really kind of psychologically unhealthy people are talking about, or there's, there's no hell or something. Like I, I do think that there are Mm -hmm. many voices in the conversation and I recognize that I just hold one position in that concert of voices, but I feel like for the people who believe closer to what I believe that it's possible that Jesus is the son of God, that it's possible there's resurrection. It at least gives them a teacher, a new perspective 
instead of leaving them trapped between these two kind of dichotomies that don't resonate. And unfortunately, because so many people don't resonate with the position of there is no hell or there is no afterlife, or even the idea of we're all kind of going to the same place, then they seem stuck with this other really terrible version of what this is and stuck with a horrible fear that they could be going there. I've even seen it with people who really are like doing their very best to live in the way of Christ, to follow, to receive grace. And they're still friggin' terrified. So there's something in me that's passionate about really uh, helping people to see another way, another alternative. Mm -hmm. And I'm open to the fact that even if I am wrong, which like I said, other people's versions of what they believe are even more hopeful than mine, I still could be a voice in a particular time in history that particular people need to hear that at least pushes the ball forward for them in terms of receiving grace. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to be who I am, where I am. And I don't think any of us are actually right. And so even if I'm off, the ways in which I'm off maybe are less off than others that are really doing harm to people's psyche. So uh, that's another reason I'm passionate about it. The other thing is, is that, you know, I think the sadness in me, I can also identify as sadness. That is part of the sadness is how kind of tormented and terrified people are of this idea. They don't see it as, oh, I have free will and I can just choose this way. And it's like, it's only if I really actively reject it, that it's going to be terrible kind of a thing. They don't see it that simple. But yeah, the other thing that is sad in me is because I really feel this, I guess I would say my position is about the honoring of choice. Like I really, 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 really feel that we have choice that that is the power that we have. We have this power over our next choice and that we do have freedom in that and that we aren't robots and we aren't just going to inevitably choose something. Now, am I completely influenced by a lot of stuff around me? Yes, but I still think that there's this way in which there's this power and there's this choice in spite of influence. And so because my position is about honoring choice, I really see, and I see this all the time as a therapist, I've seen this as a pastor, definitely I've seen this part of recovery, where people use that power of choice over and over and over to do what is harmful for them, to reject what is good, to just resist grace. Like it just, it's kind of devastating to me, but I've seen enough evidence of that here repeatedly that I believe that it's possible that energy of rejection and resistance and saying no continues even to people's detriment. So yeah, I would just say that I really am passionate about encouraging people to look at that. Like just try to look in your own life when you have an inspiration or whatever it is like to apologize even the inspiration right now, Dan, where you were so willing to honor something you saw in me, that is so rare mm-hmm. because it makes you vulnerable and it gives something to the other side or whatever that is. So, yeah. you know, and that prompting I had just now to recognize that in you, there are so many intuitive hits we get that we ignore in order to be in a position of power and control. And I would say that is my takeaway. Uh, I mean, there's several, of course, just learning to listen and respect you and others as the mystery in front of me. The real reminder that I don't need to do anything on behalf of God. I think that's the lie. I think that I need to be honest to the best of my ability pay attention to my own side of the street. And then whatever comes of this is whatever comes of this. I don't need to be codependently responsible for everybody else on earth and like convincing them. Um, So this idea of mystery and honoring the other in front of me and not being responsible are important. But also I was reminded of that subtle trap of just being convinced that I'm 
maybe getting it mm-hmm. and that maybe others exactly. aren't a reminder of humility and yeah, just the lack of certainty I have. And that keeps me more grounded in truth. So I appreciate that. But yeah, I would just say I'm very passionate about this is because I've seen the abuses. And I also just feel like I really do believe that people have the capacity to reject good and it doesn't work out good for them. And so whether that's creating a kind of hell here on earth or if it extends, either way, it feels important to me to mention. Mm-hmm. So here we are. We did it. We accomplished it. Second (laughs) run at it. We did it. So there you go, guys. That's the what the hell episode. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Recovering is about listening. And it's also about remembering those out there that are just like us in spiritual need. So carry the message. You can write a review on iTunes. You can share this on Facebook or Twitter, or even text the link to a friend. To keep it, we have to give it away. Cause we're in this together now.